I believe it's time for Corner Pebble. That's our children's ministry. Uh, they're leaving us now. God bless you, children and teachers and helpers. The uh, message, um, uh, the title for it is um, Favouritism is Out and Mercy is In. So it's a continuation of the uh, series on James that I'm doing when I'm here with you. And I just love the picture that Libby uh, put here uh, in, in our corner post. And when I saw that, I thought, wow, with that title, Favouritism is Out, Mercy is In, and that picture, that's all that needs to be said. Let's go home. It just says it all. Um, thanks to Libby for, for that picture. And also, uh, every week, Libby just comes up with these brilliant illustrations. Uh, and uh, she just does so well in putting the corner post together. So uh, thanks so much to Libby for that. And also, can I just say before we pray, um, there is just so much good work that happens here at Cornerstone, you know, one to, to another. Uh, I just keep hearing things and seeing things and I just think, wow, you know, this is a great family of God. We're not perfect, yeah, sure, but, but we're doing a good job. And then there's a lot of good work that's going on to people outside of the church. There's a lot of reaching out, a lot of love being shown and uh, it's very exciting. And, and just please receive the commendation and the, the encouragement. You know, we need that uh, as we go about the Lord's work. But certainly I believe God is using this church uh, mightily in so many ways to share his love and his care and his mercy uh, with each other and uh, outside into the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at a challenging passage from the book of James, we ask that you will give us understanding and wisdom. Please help us through the working of the Holy Spirit to treat people equally, fairly and in mercy. And we ask that we may not feel condemned as we try to live a God-honouring life when we may feel we're falling short. But we ask that we might rejoice in you as you set before us a better way to live, modelled to us through Jesus' earthly ministry. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Imagine if you were uh, watching a movie on uh, TV and uh, those movie producers, they're pretty good. They, they get us right in and, and, you know, get us involved with the characters. And imagine if we were watching a surgeon and he was there operating on somebody and the person was uh, very prominent and very uh, powerful and, and uh, important in society. And uh, the movie producers uh, allow us to understand that the surgeon, he's embarking on some very serious and delicate surgery and it's going to go for many hours and the surgeon's there and he's going to put his absolute best into this surgery because he's thinking that at the end of it, if this important person uh, pulls through, then he's going to get the accolades. He's then connected to this powerful person and so it's good for him if this surgery works. But then later on, a few days later, he's in the operating theatre again 
and he's operating on somebody and, and it's just a, a, a you know, normal, ordinary person from society and, and we, we show that this uh, surgeon's thinking to himself, he's there after a couple of hours of surgery and he's thinking, oh, I've got better things I could be doing. Let's just get this job done as quickly as we can and, hey, you know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter, this person's just ordinary. But then, of course, the film pans out to the waiting room where the wife and the children are there. And, of course, they want their husband and their, their dad back. And, uh, and, and so we'd be thinking, we'd be aghast and horrified at seeing a, a surgeon, you know, on the one hand, he's going to give it all he's got, but really he's doing it for himself. And then the second time round, he really doesn't care. And we'd be thinking, oh, well, he's one of the bad guys. It's that very thing that James is addressing here in this text. And he's saying to us that that very thing, that kind of favouritism, is not something that we as believers should have in our life. So let's go to uh, the first verse. Uh, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favouritism. So there it is. There's the statement. Believers must not... He doesn't even say, you know, it's, it's not a good idea. He says believers must not show favouritism. But also in that verse, James draws our attention to our glorious Lord. He says our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe the reason he's doing that is because the only glory we should be focused on is the glory of Jesus, not earthly glory. Glory for Christians should be about spiritual matters. It should be about the glory of Jesus and the glory that we will share with him in eternity and the glory of Jesus that we're able to share with other people as the most important message of all. But I find it interesting that famous people, it might be actors or or famous sports people or or singers, they can have thousands and thousands of followers on uh, social media, sometimes even millions of followers. And I think that's for a few reasons. Sometimes we just appreciate their ability at, at, at what they do. Uh, Sometimes we might follow them because we think they're also people of fine character. Uh, Sometimes they are. Often, no, they're they're not. But I think also we might uh, follow them on social media because uh, perhaps we're drawn to their fame, to the glory, to the wealth, to their lifestyle. There's something in it that we find fascinating and and maybe secretly, you know, we're hoping that we could live that kind of life. Perhaps we idolise people like that. We as Christians need to be careful that we don't get caught up in glory, in the pursuit of glory, in idolising those kind of things because they are earthly. Our pursuit, the main pursuit of our life should always be in seeking after the Lord and uh, his glory. For many years, I was a uh, church pastor 
And uh, on uh, several occasions uh, before the church services, I welcomed people in. And uh, this wasn't always the case, but, but it's enough that I should mention it that sometimes people would come in and, and they were visitors to the church and they were Christian people. And uh, I'd, I'd shake hands and welcome them to the church. And I noticed that with some people, they were busy just looking around. I didn't have their attention. And I think what it was is um, I obviously don't look very important. You know, they were probably just thinking, oh, he's just a lowly welcomer, you know. And, and you can see them looking around. Oh, I knew what they were doing. They were looking for the important people. They wanted them. And it was interesting that if in the course of conversation they found out that I was the senior pastor of the church, well, all of a sudden it would change. Their countenance would change, their demeanour would change, and suddenly I had their attention. Or they weren't looking around anymore. They had him. They had this important person. And I just thought, this is not what our Christian life should be. When I go up to Stanley and take the service up there and there's only about 10 people in the church that meet um, and afterwards we go out for lunch together to a restaurant somewhere and um, we invite along visitors and uh, at one lunch we're sitting there and there were a, a couple, they, they were a Christian couple and they were visiting and, uh, and I noticed the lady, uh, the, the Christian lady and, and who she was talking to and then one of the really quiet dear ladies who had only just recently lost her husband and she made this statement to this lady and I just saw it, this lady almost, almost ignored her and just went on talking to the important people, the, the outgoing people, the vibrant people uh, and, and I could just see the heart of this lady just sort of like just sink, you know, and, and I, I just sat there and I just thought, Christianity, our Christian faith should not be that. It should not be that. We should not be seeking out just after the important people, seeking the earthly glory. We should only be concerned with seeking the glory of the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2, it says, but in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. Jesus, God Almighty, who made the universe, showed us the way. He came in a lowly birth, in a manger, in an animal food trough to this world, and he suffered a shameful, humiliating death on the cross, he showed for us humility and servanthood. And in Philippians chapter 2, we read, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The same Jesus who made the universe models for us servanthood and humility. Jesus shows us the way. 
Now, I've dwelt upon glory and humility for a little bit because favouritism is based on earthly glory. When we show favouritism, it's based on wealth and on status. And showing favouritism based on external factors is unchristian. And God does not play favourites. We read in Romans 2.11, for God does not show favouritism. And here it's talking about Jew and Gentile, Jews and non-Jews. God doesn't show favouritism. In Ephesians 6.9 it says, and masters treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favouritism with him. So it's saying that God shows no favouritism based on status. And then Colossians 3.25, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs and there is no favouritism. So that's saying that God looks to our actions and, and he judges our actions regardless of our earthly position. He treats everyone exactly the same. So God does not favour individuals because of their station in life, because of their nationality or their material possessions, and nor should we. So James go, goes on and he gives us a practical example, which we read from verse 2. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, he's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not become, sorry, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Um, going back oh, it's a long, long time ago, when I was pastor of a church, we had some people and they moved from the mainland and uh, they, they were in our church for a few years before going back to the mainland, so it was a bit of a job uh, transfer for a while. And this person uh, earned very well, so they were reasonably well-to-do and uh, they lived in a really quite a stunning house uh, and when you, when you went there, the, the yard was absolutely immaculate. There wasn't a blade of grass out of place. It was just amazing. The car, you know, just shone, you, you know, you, it was just one, you know, absolutely amazing. I, I think he must have cleaned it every day. Um, and inside the house, it was absolutely minimalist. You know, there was hardly anything in it. And it reminded me of one of those houses where... Um, you, you know, like the old times, or they might still do it, I don't know, where they have the huge mainframe com uh, computers in a room and it's all sealed off and it's dustproof. You know, it's got to be a, an amazing sort of environment. That's how their house um, appeared to me. Now, I'm allowed to say this to you because we used to talk about it. We used to have good fun. And uh, when, when we invited them up for a meal, because we lived on the outskirts of town, and our house wasn't like theirs. And I said to them, look, you're welcome to come for tea, but you have to pretend you're coming on a camping trip. <laughs> and they loved it. <laughs> but, you know, in the course of conversation, do you know what uh, they said? They said, well, we come, uh, you know, from a church on the mainland 
And uh, there's about 100 people in the church and they're all exactly like us. They're all well-to-do. They all have houses like that, exactly the same, and cars like that. And, uh, and, and they said, uh, we, we get together and we worship together every week. But he said, this is unsolicited, he said, but if anyone comes into our church and they are not like us, they are not welcome. Yeah, just like that. And I, I thought, wow, that's what James is saying here. You know, and, and anyway, look, let's go on. Verse 4, um, again, James says, Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? See, favouritism is judging the worth of a person's soul based on external circumstances. Do we offer to the rich the gospel story more vigorously than to the poor? Do we offer the love of God more readily to those of higher status in life? You know, when I'm out on, on patrol, if you're visiting and you don't know, I work for the Presbyterian Inland Mission and, and visit people out in rural areas. Uh, when I'm on, on patrol, sometimes I'm with wealthy landowners who, you know, they've got far more money than I'll ever have. And then other times I'm with poor Aussie battlers who are just struggling from day to day. Sometimes I'm sitting in cavernous kitchens, you know, with the best of appliances and the kitchen is just sparkling clean and just absolutely amazing. Or I might find myself sipping coffee in absolute squalor, trying to keep cat hair out of the coffee. <laughs> or, or sitting there on the couch like this with these huge dogs trying to knock the coffee out of my hand as I'm trying to drink it. You know, there's just such a, um, a difference. But friends, we can't judge on external uh, appearance who should receive the gospel or who should receive God's love. It doesn't matter what kind of house that we are visiting in. You know, some people have inherited wealth and other people have inherited poverty, but they both need to hear the gospel. Some people have grown up in fine families and some people grow up in really messed up circumstances, but they both need to hear the gospel. One girl on a Friday... She, she lives with her dad and, and her siblings and um, one, one Friday she was going after school to go and visit her, her mum and stay the weekend with her mum and she was so excited until the news came at the end of the day that her mum had taken her own life. And then on Monday this same girl goes to school. It's a school five minutes away down the road, a school of 30 students and a few teachers and they're her family as well. She knows absolutely every one of them. And that very Monday following the Friday, she hears on that Monday that her school is closing and that she's going to now have to travel an hour on the school bus to some huge district school. She is, you know, she comes from this humble house in the back blocks of Tasmania she is what we would consider disadvantaged and the world would consider her lowly. 
But should she not hear the words of the gospel, is she less fitting to hear the words of Jesus? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Some people have worked hard and they've, you know, they've made it. We consider, well, they've made it through their own effort. You know, should we show more favour to them? Other people have made poor decisions and they've messed up their own lives. But do we reject them? Do we look down on them or do we show compassion and mercy? The last verse in today's text talks all about mercy and how important it is and we're going to come and have a look at that in a moment. You know, some people, yeah, look, they do that. They, they make good decisions and they, they make it in life and other people seem to mess up their lives, but do we look down on them? Because, you know, I, I sometimes say to people, well, they're telling me their story and you can just see it in, in themselves and I just say to them, hey, life doesn't always go the way we planned, does it? And they say, no. Because they know, you know, they might have made mistakes. We all make mistakes. Our lives haven't always gone the way that we planned, but we need to have compassion and to have mercy. We're all broken people. Verse 5, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Now, this doesn't mean that every poor person will be saved, but the Bible makes it clear that God is concerned for the poor and the lowly. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. God is concerned with the lowly, and therefore we should be concerned with the lowly. And I think it's a bit of a, a sober thought here that what Paul's actually saying to the Corinthian church, he's saying, hey, listen, guys, most of you really, as far as the world concerns, you're, you're pretty ordinary. You know, you, most of you aren't of noble birth. Most of you aren't influential. Um, and, and really, that's a sobering thought for us here too. I, I don't think any of us are of noble birth, unless secretly you're a king or a queen, I don't know, or a prince or a princess. Um, and, and, and most of us aren't particularly influential in, in the ways of the world. You know, we're important in our little sphere, but the world goes by and probably doesn't really know of our existence. And I think what Paul's just saying here is, hey, let us just be sober in our thoughts. You know, we, we shouldn't be puffed up with pride and we should have a real heart for what God might 
you know, consider uh, the lowly. Verse 6, but you have dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? That's a bit of a funny passage, what's going on here. But just, just simply, um, the citizens back in those times, we're talking about 2,000 years ago, and usually the wealthier ones would or, or could take people before the court. And the court usually was just the judge sitting in, in a public place in the city. And it would be unusual for the poor to bring someone before um, a judge and, and most likely in that culture, the judge would discriminate against the lowly person anyway. But what seems to be happening here is that some of the wealthy people are targeting believers, so they're trying to get at them. And so James says, why favour the wealthy? Because they often do harm to you. He's saying wealth is not a basis to favour people. What should we be looking to in people? We should be looking to character. That's what we should be looking for. Who cares if we're rich, poor or, or, or whatever? Who cares what nationality? Who cares about anything else? But what we should be looking for uh, in people, it's, it's the character of, of the person. Verse 8, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, which is love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. So James is there saying, if we break one law, we are guilty. And showing favouritism is sin. So if we do that, we are breaking God's law. The right way is to have love, grace and mercy and to love your neighbour as yourself. Verse 12, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So here James is saying that the law, God's holy and ethical law, is the right way to live. It's the best way to live and it brings freedom. When we're actually doing that which God requires of us, it actually brings freedom into our life. But also, we are judged by the standards of the law, and the law includes mercy. The law requires of us to show mercy. Verse 1 of our text today shows that James is addressing believers. So, judgment in verse 12, he's not talking about judgment for salvation. This text already assumes that salvation has already come to the believers through Christ. The judgment here refers to the judgment for reward. Will we be praised or will we suffer loss when we stand before what the, the Bible calls the judgment seat of Christ? We're already saved, 
but God also is going to look at how we lived in him. So in 2 Corinthians 5, we read, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And 1 Corinthians chapter 3, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what he has been, sorry, if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only is one escaping through the flames. So in Christ we are saved, but, but we also have this judgment where God looks at how we have built in, in our Christian life and we can receive praise or receive loss. And James is here saying to us that reward will not be as forthcoming if we as Christians are without mercy. If we show discrimination against the poor, against people of low status, if we discriminate on the grounds of ethnicity, uh, then that is actually a lack of mercy. We are being unmerciful due to our prejudices and our likes and dislikes. Favour to the wealthy and uh, high status is usually for our own benefit. When we favour people that we consider to be, you know, up there, it's, it's really, we're doing it for us. We want the friendship and approval of high status people. But rather for us as believers, let us seek God's approval. And we need to remember that mercy has been shown to us, so much mercy. God has shown us so, so much mercy in Christ. And if we understand that, then we will be willing to show mercy to other people as well. I just want to finish with reading a story uh, and it's about Francis of Assisi and it's, uh, it's related to us in, in the book of that name, Francis of Assisi, and it's written by uh, an Italian historian back in 1992, Arnoldo Fortini, if you want to know. Now, now this story... Um, now, now um, Francis of Assisi lived back in the 1100s and 1200s, so it's a long time ago. I wasn't there. And I don't think Arnoldo Fortini was there either who wrote the book, but I hope he did some good research. So I hope the story's accurate, but, but even if it's just based on a, on, on a little bit you know, of accuracy or not, there's something in it I think we should see. Francis of Assisi was riding a horse down the road that went by a leper hospital situated far from Assisi, for then, as in biblical times, Lepers were a rejected lot. Francis was not yet the saint of history. He was still caught between the lure of wealth and glory 
and the life of discipleship. As he rode along, he was absorbed in his thoughts. Suddenly, the horse jerked to the side of the road. With difficulty, Francis pulled him back on course. But as Francis looked up, he recoiled at the sight of a leper in the middle of the road. He was a grey spectre with stained face and shaved head, dressed in grey sackcloth. He did not speak and showed no sign of moving or of getting out of the way. He looked at the horseman fixedly, strangely, with an acute and penetrating gaze. An instant that seemed an eternity passed. Slowly Francis dismounted, went to the man and took his hand. It was a poor, emaciated hand, blood-stained and cold like that of a corpse. Francis pressed the hand and brought it to his lips. As he kissed the lacerated flesh of the creature who was the most abject, the most hated, the most scorned of all human beings, he was flooded with a wave of emotion that shut out everything around him. And the writer says that that was an early step in Francis' conversion which took many months, but it taught him that following Christ may require doing some things that repulse us. What Francis didn't know then was that something greater was prompting him, allowing him to do that which, humanly speaking, he was incapable of doing. And just two things I want to say about this. We do need God to help us show mercy. There's no doubt about that. We can't do it on our own. We need God to help us to show mercy. But you know, the story there when he was holding the hand and kissing the hand of of this leper, and it says that he was flooded with a wave of emotion that shut out everything around him. I I believe that at that moment, that, that emotion, I'm guessing, would have been a real mixture of love and, and joy, just an, an interminglement of, of, of love and joy. And I've experienced that on a few occasions when I've been showing mercy and I've just been overcome and overwhelmed with just his sense of love and of joy. And why is that? Some of you would probably say that you have experienced that too. I believe that the reason Francis experienced that, and the reason I have and some of you would have experienced that, is because when we are showing mercy, we are doing that which is the very heart of God. And I believe even unbelievers, if they are showing mercy, can be flooded with that sense of love and joy. Unfortunately, they don't attribute it to God and they claim it for themselves. But know this, for us as believers, when we show mercy and when we have that feeling, that sense of love and joy, it is coming upon us because we are doing that which is the very heart of God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we need your help.
to treat all people the same and to show mercy. We are broken vessels ourselves and we need your mercy in our lives so often. Forgive us, Lord, when we get it wrong, when we fall short. Please enable your respect for all people and your mercy to flow through our lives to bless others. May you receive praise and glory when your children show your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.